I'm going to invite you now. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I serve as pastor, lead pastor at Midtown. So glad to have you this morning. I want to invite you as we get uh, ready to receive and listen to God together, just to put your stuff down for a moment as we do each week, just to take a moment to get in your body and to be reminded that God is, is here with you uh, by his spirit. So just take a deep breath in and be reminded of the grace that surrounds you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here with us, present to us. And, and breathe out your cares and concerns and worries and anxieties that you might be carrying into this place. Let's just take a moment to ask God to speak to us, and then I'll pray for us. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Help us to hear your word and to respond in obedience and love. We pray in Jesus' name. I didn't grow up in church, I think I've said that to you many times, but um, I became a Christian and disciple of Jesus when I was about 13. I was 13. Um, I lived the first kind of season of my Christian journey as a very, no as a, like, a very nominal Christian. Went to, uh, I got put into a Christian school. And um, yeah, there was just, I always say there was any fire in my walk with Jesus. Um, when I was about, when I was 19, I had what I just really would call a spiritual awakening where God just really grabbed a hold of me. And, and I, I had been a part of a, a church, uh, I think I've told you guys, kind of in the Baptist tradition. And one of the things that that tradition really taught me was to love studying the Bible. And so I remember getting and having this just immediate like hunger to really study God's word. And um, about that time, I was also uh, getting ready to start seminary. And so I remember coming into seminary, sitting in my first class, and I was like, wow, I, I am here to study the Bible. This is amazing. And I'm like in awe. You know, like seminary, it's been called, you know, the graveyard um, for appropriate reasons. But for me, as, a, as like a really new Christian, it was just like amazing. I get to study the Bible. I get to study theology. I remember taking a hermeneutics class, which is a real fancy way of just saying the science of studying the Bible. And I remember learning just like the basic methods of how to read the Bible. Romans was like the first book that I read, like just chapter by chapter. And I remember getting out and just having like a notebook and pages of notes as we go through that classic kind of hermeneutic framework, which was observation, or just read the text, you know, ask all these questions, who, what, when, where, why, and chop down all these insights. And then it's interpretation, you know, what, is it, what does it mean? And then application, what does it mean for me now? And I just, I just love, like, I think I read the whole Bible in like three months. I remember literally sitting on the beach in Florida with my family, and I was just going through scripture, just reading and reading and reading. And, uh, and it was just amazing. It was an amazing season of growth and uh, really learning kind of uh, the Bible for myself, studying it for myself, becoming what we used to call a self-leader instead of relying on others to, to feed me and teach me. But something shifted during seminary, kind of late seminary, um, and it's a weird thing, right? Like, even the degree that you get is called a master. I, I became a master, right? Like a Jedi master of divinity. I, I started to master the Bible, right? Like, at least I thought I did. Master theology. And something began to shift in me as I was mastering scripture, mastering Bible study, reading, and just absorbing so much content. And then as I began to teach it, and just, it, it became for me um, empty. I guess would be the way that I would put it. I hit this wall after I read through the Bible. I mean, I did the through the Bible like three or four years in a row, and I was so full of information and content when it came to the Bible. But I, I began to just kind of grow. Uh, it's just the words I bored with Scripture. I had not a crisis of faith as I got into my mid to late twenties, but I did have what I would call a crisis of Scripture. I had a crisis where it, it just. It, it didn't resonate. I, I, I had no desire to read the Bible. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that. I just, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I, I was teaching it. And this is a dangerous place, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher of the Bible. And yet in my own life, I found myself with almost no hunger 
to like actually sit down and read the Bible. So my Bible reading was very sporadic. Most of it was around teaching and helping others learn the Bible. But in terms of my own personal interests, I kind of just felt like a sense of detachment from it. It just wasn't alive. It wasn't living to me. And, and it just really continued for a couple of years. And it was a really scary kind of place to be, right? Um, there's all kinds of warnings uh, about that for people who teach the word but are not actually living it and internalizing it for themselves. And so I, I set that up to say um, I, in my kind of like early 30s, had what I would just describe as like a Copernican revolution in terms of how I came to approach Scripture. Um, or if you're a physics, you know, like the Newtonian, whatever your preferred, you know, uh, field of study is. A, a massive revolution to approach Scripture. And what I want to share with you today um, from Psalm 19 and then just some wisdom from the ancient church is something that I encountered as a, as a framework. And it's really less of a technique and more of just kind of like a dance of how we approach Scripture and, and this is something that uh, I didn't invent. It's something that's been handed down for generations, thousands of years through church history. And it really did change uh, my life. I would say it's changed my life, changed the way I approach scripture. And, uh, and again, just a reminder, if you if you're, haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we're continuing our series on seeking God. And that's our big pastoral party this year is how do, we, how do we seek God? What does it look like to seek God intentionally? And we spent the early part of the fall looking at the character of God, kind of talking about why why we need to seek the God who is seeking us. And then now we're looking through the Psalms and we're looking at, okay, what does it actually look like and, and how do we actually do that? Because the Psalms, we said, give us pathways for how we actually begin to build a life of seeking God. And, and that's this today, so we, we talked about taste and see, about experiencing God. Today, I wanna talk about Psalm 19 and this invitation, this beautiful, vision here in verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. And here's the promise. Here's the invitation. Renewing one's life. This is King David writing to fellow seekers of God. And he's inviting us into this ancient pathway. The, the, the translation of instruction here, it translates the Hebrew word Torah, which was the centerpiece of, of Jewish life which can refer to the first five books of the Bible or just more comprehensively to God's law, God's instruction to us. And, and King David wants to invite us to this ancient pathway, what we now call scripture, as a pathway to experience renewal and transformation. Now, I don't want to get too much in the weeds. I did it the first service, and I knew I shouldn't have done it because I ran out of time. I don't want to get too much in the weeds on why, but I do want to say this because I know that some of us have baggage when it comes to Scripture. I know for some of us who grew up in kind of performance-oriented environments where Scripture was just reduced to like facts that you memorized and, and, and something to be performed in, in sort of like a public righteousness way. And, and so I want to just kind of just explain here quickly why and how this works, how Scripture transforms us. But I really want to focus more on how we actually get into Scripture with the majority of our message. So two things that we see in Psalm 19 how the scripture transforms us. One is that scripture invites us to know God, right? In the scriptures, we encounter the living God and we're invited to reorient our lives around him. All of the language in verses seven through 11, the precepts of the Lord are right, makes the heart glad, it's trustworthy. All of these references and descriptions of scripture, these adjectives here are all adjectives that are characteristic of God himself. So what we encounter in scripture is God's revelation of his own character, his own nature, his desires, his purposes, his presence. Notice the sensory language here that's used to communicate whole person transformation. As we come to know God as he truly is, we behold him as he is, not as we want him to be, not as culture makes him to be, but as he truly is. We are transformed, our souls, our minds, our bodies, our wills and our hearts become one with his. As we begin to participate in his life, we become like him. Notice here, wisdom for the mind, gladness for the heart, light for the eyes, sweetness for the taste, righteousness for the will. This is a person who is learning to, to be caught up in God and, and, and have their whole person transformed. And that's what scripture is. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just a history book. It is a living portal to the life-giving presence of God. 
if we will allow it to be, and we will approach it that way. I love what A.W. Tozer says about the Bible. He says, it's not an end in itself, but a means to bring men, this is written like, you know, 80 years ago, men and women, to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may, and this is weird language, but this is, this, is, this is how it's historically been viewed, that they may enter into him, union with God, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and the center of their hearts. What a vision for scripture, not as an end in and of itself. The point of Bible study is not the Bible. The point of Bible study is God. So we know God through Scripture. And then the psalmist also says we come to know ourselves. As we come to know God, we are now able to see ourselves more clearly, more fully, more comprehensively in a deeper and more truthful way. Listen to these words. This is why it's so important that we get Scripture into our lives. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Verse 12. Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule over me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed. I'll be healed from blatant rebellion. There's so much talk in our cultural moment about implicit bias, unconscious bias, as if we discovered that. And for some of us, we push back. We resist that kind of con- those concepts because we feel like it's part of a broader progressive ideology or whatever. Dude, we, 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 we've been doing this for thousands of years as Christians. We invented implicit bias. It's right here. These ideas shouldn't be foreign to Christians. Here's the basic idea. We all have areas of our lives that are hidden to us. We can't see them. Our lives have been deformed by sin. And the danger, the psalmist says, is that they're hidden from us. And it's not hidden from us because it's too small to see. It's hidden to us because it's too characteristic. It's too automatic to us. You ever had somebody come to you and be like, hey, can we talk? I need to give you some feedback. I love those conversations. I need to, we need to have like a feedback, truth-telling conversation. And they just like point something out. And, and what is your response? Thank you so much for pointing that out. You're right. I, it's so clear in my life. No. You get defensive. You're like, what are you talking about? You're the pro. You're the, I mean, no, we, we resist it. It's because it's hidden. We can't see it. And yet everyone around, like, do you have those conversations about people that you're just like, they have zero emotional intelligence? Like, everybody around them sees. If you don't, you're probably that person, right? Like, everybody around you <laughs> sees it. And the beauty of the scriptures is it just opens us up to be able to see that in the presence of God. John Calvin talked about this as a double knowledge that comes to us through the scriptures. The great reformer said this in his big tome, Institutes of the Christian Religion. I read it in seminary so you don't have to read it. The very first page, line one, in this systematic theology slash spiritual theology, here's what he says. What's the most important thing we need to know about spirituality? He says, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. As we come to know God, we come to know ourselves. And as we come to know ourselves, we look back to God and we say, God, I need you. Help me change. Psalmist says in 139, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's not David going, hey, God, there's information about me that's, you know, sequestered that you you can't see. God knows everything. David's saying, help me see what you see, is the point of Psalm 139. And man, do we need that in this moment, right? We live in a, in a kind of this like consumeristic American thing, right, that, that trains us to approach life through the lens of our preferences, our opinions, our tastes. It's what one author calls uh, an opinionocracy we live in. And man, when you live your life according to your own preferences, you will live a life with massive blind spots. You will have blind spots that you cannot see. That's why they call them blind spots, right? It's like radon, tasteless, odorless, colorless. You can't see it unless you have a radon detector. And to live that way is to live with massive, unformed parts of yourself that need to be exposed 
that need to be uncovered so that they can be transformed. And that's why we need the scriptures. The scriptures give us truth about God and ourselves that help us see ourselves as we really are. Both the beauty of the fact that we are in Christ, God's beloved children in whom he's well pleased, and the reality that we are sinners desperately in need of reformation. We need that kind of truth, again, because we live in a world not of revelation, not where we, we live by God's vision for the world. We live in a world of speculation, where everybody has their own opinions about the good life. And so there's this imitation to the scriptures. I love the way that Psalm 119.45 says it. I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. There's a freedom that we're invited into in the scriptures. And if we're going to get into that kind of freedom, we have to devote ourselves. Christians have always been people of the book. We've always been people who have a high view of scripture, who love scripture. And we have to devote ourselves and get into the scriptures, but also get the scriptures into us. We see that in the Jewish community with the Torah. We see that in the life of Jesus, who loved scripture, who memorized scripture, when he was tempted in the wilderness, said to the evil one, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Acts, we see the early community, Jesus' first disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then throughout church history, anywhere you've seen a movement of God, it is always predicated on a people who love Scripture. Now, that's the vision. But what's the reality for most of us? Right? Like for most of us, that's not our reality. Reality often falls short and maybe you feel like I did. Scripture it feels boring. It's confusing. There are a bunch of annoying people in Scripture whose stories are complex and don't make sense. It's a paradox. You ever read like multiple Scriptures that seem to say contradictory things? And you're like, this book is stupid. I, I don't get it. You're confused. You feel disengaged. I mean, Brendan Manning uh, says this in The Furious Longing of God. Because we approach the gospel, you can just uh, sub in Scripture, with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our, I love this, comfortable piety. It no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our non-historic orthodoxy. The gospel becomes a pattering of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. What he's saying is our approach to scripture is wrong, right? And Jesus always had to get on people about this. How many times does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, you heard it said, but I say to you, you're approaching it the wrong way. You need the fullness of the revelation. You need a different approach. And I would say the same thing to us. I needed a different approach to scripture. Like I hit the wall with just study, 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 facts, 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 know this information and and, and there is a paradigm shift for us, I think an invitation that when I discovered this, it changed everything for me in terms of how I came to scripture and my hunger and desire for scripture and the transformation I'm experiencing in scripture. It's the shift from scripture as information to scripture as transformation. See, we oftentimes read scripture as modern Western people in America as a textbook, <coughs> excuse me, as a textbook or a technical manual. Some of you guys are in software. Are you familiar with the acronym RTFM? Read the freaking manual. <laughs> like, like we come to scripture like it's an academic textbook. textbook. It's, it's a software manual. I, I was, there was a song growing up, and some of you guys may be old enough to remember this song. I was telling some younger people about it. that They didn't believe me until I actually pulled out my phone and played it for them. It was called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Anybody? Okay, yeah, a few of you guys. Praise God for the rest of you, okay? But that's how we view scripture, basic instructions, right? It's this manual that if you just figure out the right algorithm, right, then you'll live this blessed life. We come to it as, as a manual to be dissected. You know, we have like this analytical approach. It's like a piece of technology that we analyze and we extract information and data from, and then we master and control and execute for our own purposes and ends, like reading the newspaper or reading the news on your phone. That's how we come to scripture. 
But that's not the vision of Scripture that we see in the life of Jesus, we see in the life of the early church, we see in the life of the Jews. They approach Scripture relationally, not analytically. I am in relationship with a covenant God who is a mystery, right? The Bible is not a manual. It's actually a library. The library of Scripture is what it was historically called with a bunch of books with all kinds. It's like a collection of letters from a lover, God, to his beloved children. And it is a library of stories and biographies and wisdom, not information. There's a huge difference between information and wisdom. You can know lots of stuff and not have any wisdom. You can know not a lot of stuff and have lots of wisdom. But it's real people encountering the mystery of God. People who don't come to master God, but who enter into and wrestle with the mystery of God as he's revealed in Scripture. A God that you can't control. Information-based is I control the outcomes. Transformation-based and relational-based is it controls me. It masters me. It reads me. It exegetes me. I put myself under it, not over it, as a master of divinity. And as we interact with it and we struggle and we put ourselves under it, we encounter the living God and we are changed in relationship with God. The desert fathers who were, and mothers who were a group of men and women who moved out of Rome when it was basically falling apart in the third and fourth centuries, went into the desert, places like Egypt and Syria and Iran, and, and they just tried to get with God and try to get with Scripture. They said, when you come into contact with the Scripture, contact with the Scripture is like a fire that burns. It disturbs. It calls violently to conversion. I mean, how much different is that than like 15 minutes with my utmost first highest in the morning? And you're like, oh, that was interesting. That was neat. That was cute. Let's put that on a coffee cup. Let's, let's, let's hashtag that and put it on Instagram. So that's the invitation. How, the question I want to just answer for us is how do we do that? How do we actually seek God and seek this transformational encounter with the living God through Scripture? And the key is right here in the text, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The key to transformation is meditation. The meditation of my heart. Getting the Bible from here to here. Now, for some of us, meditation is a scary word. Some of you are like, oh, see, I knew you were like liberal or something, you know. It's Buddhist, mindfulness, you know. <laughs> this is what people say. I'm just saying back to you what you say to me. But here's the thing, the tradition of meditation, it's in the text, it's in the book, people. It's in the book, first of all. But this tradition goes back to the early church. It was preserved, not in the Western church for large amounts of time, but in the Eastern Orthodox church. Who do you think the Buddhists got it from? Christians. Scripture. Christian meditation is different than Eastern meditation. The point of Eastern meditation is to empty your mind and detach yourself from desire and reality. The point of Christian meditation is about filling your mind with God and about attaching you to God with your eyes wide open in reality. That's the difference. Meditation is mentioned 16 times in the Psalms alone. We have a whole chapter. If you want to read a chapter about meditation, 119, Psalm 119 is like 140 verses all focused on teaching us about the delight, the joy of meditating on Scripture. Psalm 1-2, person who wants to flourish in their life with God, his delight is in the Lord's Torah, and he meditates on it day and night. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. There's two Hebrew words that can be translated meditate. One can mean ponder or literally to speak something to oneself. The other uh, can mean murmur, literally like murmuring out loud or chewing. I love Eugene P Peterson's translation in his great book, Eat This Book, 
talking about how to, how to meditate on Scripture. He says this, Hagah, which is the word for chew, is a word that our Hebrew ancestors use frequently for reading the kind of writing that deals with our souls. Writing, by the way, that is complex, writing that seems paradoxical, writing that can't be like a manual read for superficial, easy answers. Meditate is far too tame a word for what is being signified. Meditate seems more suited to what I do in a quiet chapel on my knees with a candle burning on the altar or to what my wife does while sitting in a rose garden with the Bible open in her lap. And he's translating here, meditate in Isaiah, which is the same word here in the Psalms. And he's talking about his dog, watching his dog chew a bone. He said they just like lick it until it dissolves into their bodies, basically. And there's this, like, I'm a cat person. It's like purring for a cat, whatever the dog version of that, growling. Some of you I know don't like me now because you know that I'm a cat person. It's okay. (laughs) Comfortable with that. He says that's what it's like to meditate. When Isaiah's lion and my dog meditated, they chewed and swallowed using teeth and tongue, stomach and intestines. Isaiah's lion meditating his goat, my dog meditating his bone. This, this method, this framework, is, has been known very simply by the phrasing Lectio Divina. And this is what I want to just walk through for the remainder of our time together, is just how I do this in my own personal life. What does it look like to actually meditate? Because I know for some of us, it just gives us like weird Star Wars vibes, you know, of like Jedi people like sitting in the lotus position. It's really not that weird, okay? Um, it's been done by Christians for a long time. The, word lecti- the words Lecto Divina just mean divine reading or spiritual reading. It's a complement to Bible study. It's not meant to replace Bible study, but it's kind of like something that deepens and enriches and, and kind of internalizes good Bible study. Again, it was practiced by the early church fathers and mothers. Benedict formalized it and it became part of uh, his monastic program. And there was a monk, a Carthusian monk named Guijo, which is just awesome, uh, who uh, kind of formalized it into four steps. And these four steps are what I'm, what I'm gonna share with you today. But think of it like four movements in a dance, right? Like, I don't know if any of you guys, you know, where you learn to dance. I, I cannot dance still, but those who know how to dance tell me that it's awkward when you're first learning to dance. You know, you're trying to memorize the steps and trying to, you know, and there's just that awkwardness. And it's kind of like that with scripture. There's just an awkwardness to learning the steps of the dance that over time, practice and train can become second nature and, 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 and rich. And that's what I want for us, is for us to become mature in our ability to engage scripture and engage God through scripture. So this is basically a method to read scripture slowly, meditatively, prayerfully. That's what Lectio Divina basically means. Slow down, stop, you know, drinking this thing as if it's like a Coke can that you, you know, just swallow quickly and crush it on your forehead and throw it to the side and belch really loudly. So four movements. Let me just walk through these. Read, reflect, respond, Rest. That's it. Read, reflect, respond, rest. Start with read. This word read, the Latin word um, that the monastics use is the word lectio. It just means to attend, to pay attention. So basically, you get up in the morning or whatever your time is, you need some sort of a, a Bible reading plan. It doesn't matter what it is just to help you as a church. We have, if you're not familiar with the rule of life, that's what this is all about. It's about us having a community plan that syncs up with the global church and the historic church. It's a, it's a psalm from the Book of Common Prayer every day. And literally, we walk through these steps in the rule of life for you guys. What I'm going through here is in this in really abbreviated form. And it gives you a reading plan. You work for the Old Testament in two years, the New Testament one. Or we have just a short reading plan where you can take a scripture passage and just go slowly through it for an entire week, however you want to do it, okay? So all of that's here. But whatever your plan is, you can use Bible Project. You can, you know, read it. There's all kinds of Bible reading apps. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you have a place and a time, and you start by just getting silent before God, getting quiet before God. And that's why I love the mornings, particularly if you're a parent, before the kids are up or in between times when they're up in the middle of the night. Robin will talk more next week about the watches of the night and being up through the night and the watches of the night. That's a verse for parents. But you get silent and you sit still and you just get anchored in your body, right? And there's all kinds of ways that Christians have done this, but it's like getting out of your head, getting all the noise 
and just settling in in your body. For some people, that looks like a quick song. For some people, that's dancing. Historically, Christians, you know, from the earliest times have made the sign of the cross. They've used prayer beads or they've gone for a walk or they've faced east towards Eden. I mean, there's all kinds of ways of people just get in your body. The way that I do this very simply is using the Jesus prayer, which is, again, has been around for, you know, thousands of years. It's just a simple little prayer taken from uh, the life of Jesus, when, the, when the, the blind man cries out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. And so I, I literally get into a place and I sit down with my feet on the ground and I just get still and I let all the kind of inner noise just quiet and settle. And I just take a deep breath in and I say, on my breath in, Jesus, son of David. And then I breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I just do that for five minutes, seven minutes, two minutes, just allowing myself to get quiet in the presence of God. Because in the scriptures, you think about the story of, of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, how does God's voice come to Elijah? It's not in the whirlwind. It's not in the big dramatic signs. God's voice usually comes in the scripture through what? The quiet whisper, the still small voice of God. And so we're listening for that still small voice. We have our passage of scripture, whether it's you know, six or eight verses probably is ideal, but we're just sitting with a sense of anticipation as we read it through the first time. The question that we're asking ourselves is just, God, what does this say? What are you saying here in this passage? We could read it silently. I have about a 50-minute drive to drop my kids off every morning, um, and so I usually have an audio Bible, and I'm just listening to that as I'm, as I'm driving. It really helps me slow down because I tend to read or listen to podcasts and things in like one and a half or two times. So I have to put it on like halftime just to kind of slow myself down. But it does, it helps. Audio really helps me. And I'm looking for a word or a phrase that stands out. So I'm reading my psalm, or two or three psalms, and I'm reading from, right now it's Acts. And I'm just, I'm listening for my body, and I'm just trying to figure out what, what am I responding to? What am I reacting to? What resistance or what desire? What's, what's drawing me in this text? What's drawing my attention or my imagination? Now have this sense that Hebrews, as Hebrews says, the word of God is living and effective. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and joint, joints and soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a living word. And so I'm sitting before it as a living word, just saying, God, I'm here. I don't feel a lot of spark right now, right? I, I don't feel a lot, but I'm, I'm here. Would you, would you light me on fire? Would you poke me? Would you prompt me? And I just keep showing up. Whether I feel like it or not, I just show up. The second movement then, after you've read it through the first time and you've found that kind of passage, sometimes it's just a word. Like I was in Psalm 119 a few weeks ago and I literally just spent my entire time with this word delight. He says, I delight in your precepts. And I was like, Lord, I don't delight in your precepts right now. Why is that? What's going on inside of me that is resisting delighting? Why am I so afraid of being vulnerable? But, you know, because vulnerability, there's a lot of delight in that. Just stuff like that. So then you move to reflect. This is the word meditatio. We get our word meditator, pondering. And you read that through now a second time, but you're asking a different set of questions. The question you're asking here is, Lord, what are you saying to me? Right? And so we're looking for truth, yes, right, in the scripture. What does it say? What did it mean to them? And then we don't just get to make it mean whatever we want. But then you're wanting to move from truth. See, so many people stop at truth. And it's like, oh man, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. Renewing one's life. Isn't that great? I'm going to throw that on Instagram. I'm going to post that somewhere. And we stop there. But that's like stopping at the appetizer in a good meal. The invitation is to go into insight, to go deeper. To say, God, what is your word to me? That's different. Insight is about savoring, pondering, lingering. Man, I stink at lingering. This can't be rushed any more than like, if you eat dinner really fast, you're, it's gonna go badly. This is where the written word becomes a living word to you. I love this phrase from Rob Reimer in his book on spiritual 
formation and soul curious is when the spirit breathes on a word in scripture, it stirs within you. It leaps off the page at you. This is the moment when God is coming near. This is the moment of divine breakthrough. This is the moment, if you'll let it, when the piercing of the heart can take place and the deep work of transformation can begin. Every time you pick up the Bible, we are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with the living God. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? I don't always believe that. I want to believe that. That is the invitation of Scripture to us every day, a fresh encounter with the living God. To ponder is to, Baron Frederick von Hugel said it like this, letting a very slowly dissolving lozenge melt imperceptibly in your mouth. Do you guys like to taste chocolates? I mean, one of my favorite things is to just, like, just next slide. This, this is heaven right here. Godiva chocolate truffles. We sometimes get sent chocolates. It's been a while. I'd love for somebody to send us some truffles. <laughs> and you just get that box, and you tear it open, and you have no idea. I know some of you are, like, looking on the back, trying to match it. It's like, no, stop doing that. Stop analyzing it, unless you're allergic. Just enjoy. <laughs> Grab the thing and put it in your mouth. Let it melt. And then come through your body and just coat you and just become part of you. I mean, that's, that's how you eat a truffle. I was eating dinner with Christian last night. He's eating, what was it, coconut um, mahi? Yes. Coconut mahi at Delicia. And he's like, it literally, I didn't even bite it. I couldn't even bite it. It melted in my mouth and just became part of me. That's what you want. That's, that's how scripture's supposed to be. You let it sit. You let it metabolize. You let it linger in your mouth and you just, it mixes with saliva and it just starts to break down and just, ugh. That's what pondering is. We're so bad at pondering. I'm so bad at pondering. Pondering is just creating space to bring your mind, your heart, your memories, your imagination, your feelings and desires, you bring all that to God in the text. And you say, search me, God. Know my heart. Like, and you're looking for maybe like, what have I missed? Because we think we know scripture because we've read it. We've read the manual. But man, you've never mastered scripture, never. I mean, we are all, as Thomas Merton said, beginners in the spiritual life, always beginners in the spiritual life. So you're coming to the text and you're saying, God, what have I missed? Help this to become unfamiliar to me again. What's so familiar, what's so trite, let it become weird to me again. What's new here that I haven't seen before? What's surprising here that I don't expect to be here? What promises are here for me that, I, that I've left on the table and not claimed for my life? It's an inheritance from God for me. What commands are here for me to obey? What invitations are here for me to follow? What people are here that I've never noticed before? What connections might there be? How do I see Jesus in this text? And how is Jesus the fulfillment of this? And how is me being in Christ good news from this text? And I want to especially encourage you, pay attention to your body when you're in this space. Pay attention to your feelings. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to your reactions. There's a reason why you feel threatened by this text. There's a reason why you don't want to linger in this text. Pay attention to that. Your body will always tell you. Why are you feeling anxious? Why are your palms starting to sweat? Why do you feel like I just got to put this down and get on with my day? There's more there than you could ever imagine. That's what I just want to say to you. Reflection is about going deeper. When we first moved into our house, the first week of COVID, we moved in. We didn't know COVID was coming. And um, there was this rock in the front yard. And Emily was just like, this rock's bothering me. It's like poking up out. It's like this big. It's like poking up out of our yard. She's like, can you please just go dig up that rock? And I was like, <laughs> I got this. I get my shovel. I'm like a little rock. I got this. And I remember striking like the first time, trying to make a wide circle around this rock, and I hear clink. 
And I start to dig, and I, and I can't get down. I'm like, I, am, I know that I'm weak sauce, but I am not that weak sauce. I go to the gym a couple times. Like, it can't be me. And I start digging around, and I widen the circle again. I realize I'm going to need a sledgehammer. I'm going to need a friend. There's something going on underneath the surface that I can't see with my eyes. So we get a, a friend to come over with a sledgehammer. We break it up. This thing, it, it ends up being like a piece of our foundation. Or I don't know what is in our foundation, but it was like half of our yard we like dug up to get this rock out. Do you remember this? Like that's what's like happening in scripture. It's like an iceberg. Only 10% do you actually see. But beneath the surface, there's so much going on that we have yet to explore. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Why does he buy the field? Not to hoard the treasure, to go exploring find the fullness of the treasure. It's excavation that he's doing. And this is so important for us to do this work of meditation, this work of integration, this work of reflection, for two reasons, right? If you think about the parable of the soils, Jesus warns us that when the seed is sown, right, when the the word of God comes to us, the condition of the soil affects the fruitfulness of the crop. And man, we have to do this work because our hearts are messed up. And there's two main reasons why I know I need this every day. One, I need to break up the weeds of cultural formation that have slowly taken root in my heart. Every day, my imagination, my desires are being formed and shaped by a world that is turned against God. And I don't mean like I'm, I'm like reading books on Wicca or something like that. I just mean like I'm on social media like, you live in the business world, right? You live in a, you work in a hospital. Like, there are all thousands of kinds of ways that we are slowly, imperceptibly, unconsciously being shaped against the way of Jesus. And so we need to get into the scripture and allow it to be a mirror for us to show us the ways. And here's what happens. You will get disrupted if you are encountering the real God. The real God doesn't just rubber stamp our biases and assumptions. The real God disrupts us. That's how you know you've had an encounter with the real God. He's not a God of our imagination who loves all the same people we love and hates all the same things we hate. He's wholly different than us. And he will disrupt us. And so what I find is sometimes the things that annoy me the most, the things that shock me the most, that feel antiquated or out of date or not up with the times, or that even repulse me where I'm embarrassed, by scripture, it's those things that are actually starting to uproot some of the deformed cultural narratives that I have imbibed slowly and imperceptibly over time. And I need God to start to uproot those. The second thing is, it also breaks up the stony ground of apathy, right? That just kind of creeps in every day, right? The hard-heartedness, Jesus says, that fell among the stones, it couldn't, couldn't grow, couldn't find good soil, like the reason I think so many of us are bored with our faith, we've become apathetic because we're living off old truth. We're living off truth from college. We're living off truth that we inherited from our parents. We're living off something that was good for us and transformational for us in another season, but now we're in a different season. Now we're not single anymore. Now we're married. Now we have kids. Now we have multiple kids. Now we have aging parents. Now we have dying parents. Now we're getting sick ourselves. Now we have grandkids. Now we have a different kind of job. Like, Life continues to change, and God's invitations to us also come to us in the same scripture, but differently because we're in different seasons. And so there's a need for ongoing conversion and a deeper maturity in these different seasons. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you could read the same passage. Like, I, I don't know, what it, like you could read, sell your possessions in Matthew 6 and give everything to the poor. And in your 20s, you're like, yes, live in a cardboard box, sell it all, give it away, move to some foreign country. That looks way different when you're like 45 and exhausted and trying to survive with your kids. You're like, how about, what does that mean, Jesus? It's different. There's 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 an invitation in there. But we gotta gotta wrestle. Quickly, third thing uh, is respond. This is the Latin word oratio, respond. 
So you read it now for a third time. And now you're asking this question, Lord, how are you inviting me to respond? Right? Because here's the thing. We said this time and time again. I'll say it again. Information doesn't transform us. Inspiration does not transform us. You can come in here and feel all the, all the vibes when you're worshiping and all that. That alone does not transform. Insight does not transform. What is it that changes us according to Jesus? Love me and obey my word. That's what Jesus says. Because you love me, obey me. James chapter one. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If you only go into your time with God and you're just like, oh, I'll get this amazing insight. You're just like, I'm just gonna sit with this and do, you know, snuggle with this all day. Oh, this feels so good. And then you don't actually do anything about it. Jesus says you are deceiving yourself. I was listening to a pastor this week talk about this passage and he said, so in our culture, everybody has an opinion. He said, I am, I am shocked when I look at the church at how strong people's opinions are and how weak their lives are. And he said, it all comes down to obedience. What we put into practice. Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. Great teaching. And then he ends the Sermon on the Mount. He says, there's two ways to live. Build your house on the sand where you don't do what I say and your life will collapse. Maybe not in your 20s, maybe not in your 30s, but you are setting yourself up for a crisis of faith and life when you get into your 40s and 50s. Build it on the sand or build it on the rock. In other words, what he says is, do what I say. Not because it's a rule, but because it's an invitation to life. It's the same thing the psalmist said. Jesus knew the psalms, right? By keeping this, there is great reward. It doesn't mean a life full of comfort and without pain, but it means the good life within a difficult life. Spiritual maturity and spiritual formation is not a matter of what you know. You can know all kinds of theology. You can know all kinds of propositional truth. You can do all kinds of Bible studies. But the measure of spiritual maturity, Jesus says, is do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and do you love your neighbors yourself? It's love and obedience. Eugene Peterson, again, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture, we assimilate it. Take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions to all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company of the Son. Mic drop. Good old Eugene. How is God inviting me to respond? Maybe it's just to start with prayer. We're going to talk about that next week. Maybe it's repentance, right? I, I notice a pattern that needs to be changed. I need to repent and turn back to God in faith and trust and begin to live in his way and make repair for that thing that needs to be, that's, that's being repented of. Maybe it's mission, right? I need to serve, right? The Psalms talk about God as a God who loves justice. That's not just something to be talked about or, or fought about in some culture wars. It's something to be lived. I mean, I can give you example after example from my own reading of scripture. I, I was in a bad, really bad season end of 2021, I was experiencing this crazy burnout. I had never felt like this in my life. And I remember coming into like Psalm 116, and Psalm 116 basically talks about a person who's oppressed and just feeling empty and just feeling like the world has gone crazy and is experiencing stress. And, and there's just this line where it says, I will lift up my cup of salvation and call on the Lord. And I was like, I don't do that. I don't lift up my cup. I'm not calling on the Lord. I'm complaining. I'm lamenting. But the invitation here, call on God. Will you just say, help me, save me, rescue me? I'm like, I remember driving down 38th Street, listening to that, and I literally, in my mind, got this image of a chalice and just holding this chalice before God and saying, God, I need you. Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and save me? There's a response that's needed to move us from this is a good idea to this is a transformational encounter. And then the last movement is just rest. Rest. Just read it for a fourth time. And now we're, we're done analyzing, we're done reflecting, we're done responding. 
We're just resting. We're abiding. This is just being with God, resting in his presence. I love Psalm 131 too. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Some of you are nursing mothers. You know what this means. Just satisfied. God, you're so good. There's no words for this. I just want to be in your presence. Thank you, God, for being good. And you're just delighting in God. You're just allowing God to delight and to hold you as his beloved son or daughter. And you're just sitting, soaking in his goodness, resting in his presence. Now, I want to pray for us as we go to communion. And I just want to invite us into this. I want to pray this over us. And this is, this is what I want for us as a church. I want this life-giving scripture to become a habit for us, and not just a dead habit, not just like a rule that I've got to do, but as a, a pathway, a portal into the life-giving presence of God. And, and I realize that some of us have baggage, some of us have wounds, some of us, we're just not there with scripture. And so I, I want to pray and just ask you to maybe just hold out your hands here. Just, just lift, put out your hands. And I want to pray for a fresh hunger from God for you. I want to pray for a fresh desire to, to get into scripture, to meet God in this place, to, to hold your wounds before him, to hold your desires, or even your lack of desire. Maybe it's just saying, God, I'm not there, but I want to hold that before you. I want to want. Wherever you find yourself this morning, is, I want to invite us into this reality, and I want to pray this over us, and I want to just trust God. Maybe this week, just as, there's just an invitation to take 15 minutes or 20 minutes and just experiment, just try it. Just test God in this and see if he won't show up. Swap a habit for getting into scripture and just seeing if God won't show up and speak in a profound way. Father, we thank you for your word. Your, your instruction, your scripture is perfect. It renews our lives. It makes our hearts glad. It has the potential to make us radiant, to make our eyes light up. Your word is more desirable than gold and you gotta know for many of us that's not our lived reality. So God, would you... Would you just meet us this week? God, as we trust you, as we practice your way, and we just receive this invitation to come, to read and to reflect and to respond and to rest in your word, God, would you honor your word? Would you honor this invitation? And would you show us that this is indeed a pathway to joy? Would you do what feels impossible, but God, we know is possible? All things are possible with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.